0: Wake up, America! It's Morning Air with John Morales, Si sí, Senor, Sarah Tafoya, hey, that's my mom. and Glenn Leverens.
1: Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's
2: Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app on this Wednesday morning. The New Hampshire presidential primary is in the history books as former President Donald Trump easily beat Nikki Haley again. We'll talk about it here momentarily and a little bit later uh, this hour with... Uh, attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar at 638 Central. We will uh, break it down for you. So uh, today is also the memorial of one of the great saints of the Catholic Church, St. Francis de Sales, bishop and doctor of the church. His powerful preaching brought forty to 70,000 Protestants back to the Catholic faith in the early 17th century. St. Francis de Sales wrote the classic introduction to the devout life, and his writings on the spiritual life have proved highly influential He's the patron saint of journalists and other writers. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here on this Wednesday morning? Let me guess.
3: Yeah, first primary in the nation uh, yesterday in New Hampshire. President Trump, uh, former President Trump, winning uh, once again by about 11 points there with 91% of all the votes tallied to 54 to 43 Uh, percentage difference there. Uh, Hard fought. uh, Nikki Haley, uh, his primary challenger, kind of came on with a charge uh, in the last week or so. And uh, Mr. Trump uh, was able to hold her off, claiming victory and uh, looking ahead to the rest of the race, really looking ahead to the general election. Now, after uh, Iowa, he seemed to, you know, look right to that. And thanks, everybody, for all your help. He seemed kind of kind of angry that he was still in the business of needing to, uh, you know, eliminate all the challengers on the Republican side, but, but he was fired up. Here's what it sounded like.
1: Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. Three. We win it every time we win the primary, we win the, Generals, we've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important.
2: And Glenn, a little earlier in the evening, Nikki Haley said that the primaries are a marathon, not a sprint, as she looked ahead to the next contest. And here's a little bit of her post-election comments.
4: I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. It's not over. <laughs> well, I have news for all of them New Hampshire is first in the nation, it is not the last in the nation.
2: Yeah, she was pretty uh, uh, fired up, and uh, President Trump, uh, afterwards, uh, you reacted. I think he was a little bit upset at her tone because she sounded like uh, she won the New Hampshire primary, which obviously uh, she she did not. So I think it kind of irked him uh, that uh, she was so enthusiastic and— You know, really, uh, you know, determined that she's not going to, uh, you know, step down. She's still in the race uh, for the long haul, at least until uh, her home state of South Carolina.
3: Well, like many of the analysts said last night, everybody's in it until they're not. And they they do have to to talk like that. So uh, a lot of uh, conversation, too, about uh, will the money continue to be there? Uh, You know, for those that uh, would like someone other than Trump, uh, you know, not too many Choice is out there, certainly on the Republican side. She's the last major candidate uh, still in the race. Now, uh, the margin of victory was about 11 points, but uh, delegates is what it's about, to tally those up uh, by the end of uh, the primary race. Um, for all the fussing and imputing, uh President Trump got 12 delegates. Nikki Haley got nine delegates uh, last night. Uh, next big contest. Coming up uh, the 24th of February in South Carolina, Uh, there's no real contest uh, in Nevada uh, in terms of part of the candidates ended up in the primary, part in the caucus, uh, and the one that Mr. Trump is in is the one that will earn him a a few delegates out there, but South Carolina, Nikki Haley's home state, coming up on February 24th, uh, polling shows uh, President Trump with like about a 40% 40% lead there, and so that's uh, that's a lot to overcome. Uh, probably Haley, too, hoping to make it to March 5th, which is Super Tuesday, when many delegates across the country are up for grabs. Many states having primaries on that day, but uh, we'll see. There's going to be a lot of mud slinging going on uh, <laughs> the next, uh, next uh, three, four weeks there until we uh, make our way, uh, about another month or so until we make our way to South Carolina, for sure, John.
2: Politics is a, a combat sport, and they definitely uh, went at it in, in this one. Um, much smaller margin of victory for Mr. Trump uh, than, than expected. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting uh, watching some of the different uh, pundits uh, in some of the coverage last night. Uh, there was even some talk of the possibility— of uh, Nikki Haley possibly being uh, a, a potential vice president, uh, teaming up with with Trump, uh, because she attracts the independents, and he's going to need those independents in the in the general election. Well, and Mr. Trump had said going
3: into yesterday's election that Democrats could could vote uh, on the Republican side, which is not true, but independents could. Those who had not registered for a particular party or classified as independents, they could. Among independents, uh, Haley got some 63% of the vote, so uh, she did really well with independents. Uh, but uh, on the straight-up Republicans, uh, Mr. Trump got about 75% of those, and so therein lies a big difference. So she does have some general election appeal, perhaps, but uh, to get there, she'd have to go through Trump, which isn't happening yet.
2: No question about it. Let's not forget uh, also uh, that uh, President Joe Biden easily won uh, his uh, Democratic primary in uh, New Hampshire last night, even though he wasn't even on the ballot.
3: Yeah, that is uh, kind of an an odd thing. He wanted South Carolina, which uh, has the demographics that uh, line up better with the Democratic Party in terms of the, the people they go after. Uh, to be first in the nation, and uh, the laws in New Hampshire say, No, we got to be the first. And so uh, he declined to be on the ballot. Uh, so uh, his supporters were urging people to, to write his name in at the end of a long list of Democratic candidates, uh, which, which they did. And uh, the uh, margin of victory there with 68% of those votes in, 66 uh, to 20 percent for dean phillips uh, a congressman from uh, minnesota who's making a bit of a run kind of his swan song for politics he's not running again for congress and uh, he just wants to point out there ought to be some hopefully him in his eyes uh, alternative to to president biden on the democratic side
2: yeah he actually got uh, over 20 percent of the vote which is uh, pretty good for a guy that is not well known uh, nationally
3: yeah, not, not not known. And so as an alternative, uh, you know, some of the commentary, too, wondering, eh, it's a long way to go till November. Uh, is, you know, is there still a chance, uh, you know, a slight chance anyway, that it won't be Trump versus Biden? Uh, many people not looking forward to seeing that, according to polls. And uh, so, I mean, the last chapter might not be written. You know, as we look at, uh, you know, both a victory in Iowa and New Hampshire for former President Trump, um, you know, maybe... His main, you know, battleground might be in the courts, uh, you know, from here on out, if it uh, looks like more of a a clear shot at the polls. So we'll see.
2: Well, we'll uh, talk about it uh, further uh, coming up a little bit later uh, this hour uh, with uh, political analyst Alfonso Aguilar. He'll have, I'm sure, a lot to say uh, about last night's uh, primary. Uh, meanwhile, of interest to you, in fact, I thought of you yesterday as soon as the announcement came out uh, with the, the National Baseball Hall of Fame uh, announcing the inductees of the 2024 class, uh, which includes uh, third baseman Adrian Beltre, catcher Joe Mauer, and first baseman Todd Helton, all uh, really outstanding players, Glenn.
3: Yeah, and uh, you know, you you mentioned me because uh, catcher Joe Mauer played for the Twins. Uh, he was a hometown guy, growing up in St. Paul, same hometown as me, and uh, he grew up on the other side of town. But that makes four Hall of Famers from uh, St. Paul and in relatively recent history. Uh, along with Joe Mauer, uh, a few years back, Paul Molitor he played for the Brewers and the and the Blue Jays, along with the Twins. Dave Winfield played for the Yankees and Padres, along with with the twins, uh, Jack Morris, uh, with the, the, the Tigers, as well as the twins and, uh, and Joe Maurer and, uh, the, the older three are relatively the same age, but they all, you know, played and grew up within just a few miles of one another. So maybe something in the water in that part of St. Paul with a lot of baseball hall of famers, but always fun to talk a little baseball when there's uh, plenty of ice and snow outside, John.
2: For sure. Well, kudos, uh, to Maurer, uh, who, uh, it makes it into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot and uh, he of course played his entire career with the Minnesota Twins and was the American League MVP in uh, 2009. He could hit. He was a great catcher for the first part of his career. Played some first base. Uh, outstanding. Uh, good for Joe Maurer and also congratulations to uh, Beltre and Helton as as well getting in. Manager Jim Leland was uh, elected last year by the Contemporary uh, Baseball Era Committee uh, so he'll also be getting Getting in, and that induction ceremony in Cooperstown will be taking part uh, this coming July 21st. Um, meanwhile, uh, today is a National Peanut Butter Day, uh, Sarah.
0: Yeah, it is. Isn't that cool? You know, there's a day for everything, as we always say, and today is the day that we celebrate peanut butter. Uh, man, a little bit of a interesting pastime. Not really quite sure when it originally was uh, originally created for the first time. A lot of speculation out there because uh, records aren't so great in the on the peanut butter timeline. But um, possibly <laughs> the Incan people uh, were the first to kind of mash up peanuts. Of course, they weren't using the wonderful uh, sugars and things we're using now. So I'm not sure if I would have wanted to taste that. But uh, fast forwarding to uh, late eighteen hundreds, the first patent came out uh, by a chemist. Now, isn't that interesting? That there would be someone who's the chemist thinking, you know, all these wonderful things in the world. And like, you know, what I should do something with peanuts? I always find that interesting. Where these scientists <laughs> they get the interest, you know, like you know, someone the chemist are working on cancer or this stuff. You know what? I- I'm gonna you save that for them. I'm working on peanuts. <laughs> we need to do something more with it. So that's uh, where the first patent came out with the peanut butter.
2: Okay, guys, um, crunchy or creamy. Well,
3: I was going to say my, uh, you know, uh, scientific, uh, you know, addition to, uh, you know, peanut butter back in dinosaur times before they actually marketed chunky peanut butter, we had to kind of put stuff in ourselves. And as kids, you're food scientists, you're food chemists, you're you're playing with your food a little bit. And I can recall <laughs> at school since 80% of the time it was a, a bag lunch with a peanut butter sandwich, but uh, we'd put... Uh, either potato chips or fritos ah, in the sandwich with yeah. the peanut butter. So we were, we were doing chunky before there was chunky.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's with- a, a momentary chunk because uh, once that kind of gets a little soggy after a while, but yeah, you, well, I'm sure you're eating it right away too, but yeah, that's not going to stay in the can for too long. So they had to be a little bit more creative, but you're right. man. I wouldn't put it on my peanut butter sandwich. I question you there. I'm not sure how that would taste,
5: <laughs> but I would put
0: it on a regular sandwich, you know, with uh, some sort of meat, you know, just add a little extra crunch. It does give a little extra texture. I'm I'm always the the crunchy peanut butter gal.
2: With or without jelly?
0: There's <laughs> really on un- what I would say there's only one way to do it because we all know Elvis, very famous of adding the banana to your uh, peanut butter sandwich. But yeah, definitely jelly. And there's a lot of jellies and jams out there. So, I mean, to the specific preference per person is, um you know, can be an extra additive. I'm usually, I'm more of a raspberry. I'll go with that. But uh, in our house, I can't really buy raspberry because we have a lot of strawberry-only strikers. They won't put any other jelly on, so I have to <laughs> just suck it up and take the strawberry.
2: Well, whichever way you like it, uh, enjoy your peanut butter on this National Peanut Butter Day. Uh, as always, uh, thanks, Sarah and Glenn.
3: Hey, sure thing, John.
2: We begin every morning, uh, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord Jesus for all the many blessings, and we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, in our families, and in our hearts. And we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. Saint Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, co patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Romans 8.28. The Apostle St. Paul writes, we know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. St. Paul reminds us that all things happen for the good of those who love God. Uh, During uh, any difficult time, uh, we have to have a spiritual and a Catholic perspective. Nothing happens in this world without the will of God. The Lord is the Lord of the universe. Nothing happens without his direct will or his permitting will. Uh, This is divine providence, and we have to have that type of faith that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, does not abandon us, and he's always with us. And we always pray with great confidence from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, for the latest news on the Holy Father, Pope Francis. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on uh, this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank Vincent, who is listening in California for donating his 1971 Chevy El Camino. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting RelevantRadio.com car. That's RelevantRadio.com car.
0: Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio.
2: And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And now it is time to bring Rome to home. For the latest news from the Vatican, we go live to our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona from The Eternal City. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks, tours, and spiritual direction, all centered on Scripture, art, and beauty. They even have a special track to evangelize young adults. Visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out how you, too, can make your life a masterpiece in just one week with John and Ashley in Rome. Buongiorno. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks so much for joining us once again from the eternal city of Roma.
5: Well, good morning to you, John and Glenn and Sarah. Very happy to be with you today.
2: Well, Ashley, uh, we always begin uh, with the words of our Holy Father. What was uh, the main message of Pope Francis at uh, his uh, Wednesday papal audience this morning?
5: Well, today, Pope Francis spoke about the two Vs, vice and virtue. This is part of his continuing catechesis on those topics. And specifically, he reflected on the vice of avarice. He defined it as an attachment to money that prevents man from generosity. And this, of course, is contrary to Jesus' words to seek only treasures in heaven and not on earth. And he says that, we have to remember it's not about the amount of wealth that one has. Instead, avarice refers to a sickness of the heart, not a sickness of the wallet. He said it's about a distorted relationship to money. In fact, he equated it to that infantile regression of a toddler who says, it's mine. And he pointed out that even the desert father monks who renounced wealth, they could find themselves clinging to objects that had little value. So then the question comes, how can we combat this? Well, he said the monks proposed a very effective method, and that is meditation on death. The Pope said that the certainty of death is an effective reminder that one must be generous With goods in this life, since, of course, as we all know, we can't take it with us. And he said that a person is never a master of the world or of what he possesses, but instead, Christ shows in the parable of the foolish man, the man who laid up an abundant harvest, that death can come at any moment and that all possessions could also disappear in any moment. So today, Pope Francis concluded by saying, asking all to to be attentive and also to be generous generous with everyone and generous with those especially those who need us most and at the end of his catechesis today he highlighted that uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming up on the 27th of January. And he spoke about the importance of remembering and condemning the extermination of Jews and people of other faiths who were also killed for their faith during that time. He said, hatred and violence can never be justified. And again, spoke A phrase that we've heard from him many times, only people in the weapons and arms industry win in wars, John.
2: And uh, obviously, this is something that is very much uh, on the Holy Father's uh, heart uh, as we uh, continue to pray for peace in in this world, uh, both uh, in the Middle East and with Ukraine, with those uh, conflicts uh, still amazingly uh, still going on.
5: Yes, in fact, I I couldn't even begin to count at this point the number of messages at audiences that he has given asking the world to pray for peace. So that is certainly something uh that— that we can all join in.
2: I love his message though this morning uh, about what you call the the two V's, uh, vice and and virtue, because, you know, it, it's it's really a kind of a wake up call for every one of us because none of us knows the day or the hour, mm-hmm. and uh, as you mm-hmm. said, you, you can't take it with you. So I, I think you know uh, it it's it's a reminder of uh, the yes. uh, the words of of our Lord Jesus uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so uh, the Holy Father really, uh, you know, gets you thinking about uh, that reality.
5: Yes, and get, and offering some very practical advice, which is to spend time meditating on on death, on the last things, and to to be reminded to remind ourselves of our own mortality, so that through that, with a healthy relationship to our to death, uh, then we can to understand the things of this world in a much more healthy way.
1: Absolutely.
2: Uh, meanwhile, I, I understand that uh, Italy is honoring American soldiers and, and marking uh, 80 years since the Allied landings at Anzio and Attuno uh, during World War II. <sighs>
5: Yes. In fact, there have been all kinds of commemorations that are going on this week uh, attended by representatives of the American Embassy to Italy, uh, Britons, ambassador to Italy, and the Italian culture minister. And these events are things like historical reenactments. And uh, it's commemorating where the landings and the battles occurred for almost a five-month period in 1944. And during that time, there were 43,000 allied casualties. Uh, And during that time it's understood that the Allied troops, of course, made a very decisive contribution to the liberation of Italy from Nazi fascism. And it's interesting because for many years, these commemorations that have gone on in Anzio and Netuno were attended by a soldier named Harry Schindler, who was at the Battle of Anzio and at the liberation of Rome in 1944. Now, sadly, he died last year at the age of 101 in his home in Italy, but he's being honored specifically this year. Uh, there's an exhibit right now that's happening there in Anzio that is highlighting the documents that he kept uh, that Show his work tracing the graves of British servicemen who were killed or listed as missing in action during World War Two. Incidentally, including the father of, uh, of Pink Floyd founding member Roger Waters, interestingly enough. And if and it, when you visit Italy, if you have the opportunity to visit the the Sicily Rome American Cemetery and Memorial Site there in Netuno, it is such. moving experience. It covers about 77 acres, beautiful fountains, uh, Italian cypress trees, so peaceful. And there are the headstones of 7,845 American military. And the majority of these individuals died in the liberation of Sicily and in the landings in Salerno and uh, in Anzio Beach, for example. And Also, um, you can walk through this this green of this beautiful, expansive cemetery to the the memorial, to the stone memorial. And next to it is a chapel. And on the walls of the chapel, there are 3,095 names engraved of soldiers who were missing. And then there are little rosettes that mark the names uh, next to anyone who was eventually recovered and identified. And it's a very, very moving experience. Also the opportunity to visit the visitor center where they share personal stories and photographs and, and films and, and little interactive displays. So you can get to know these, these brave soldiers better and understand better that critical campaign that by the Allied forces that contributed to that Allied victory in Europe during World War II, John.
2: Oh, Ashley, uh, we can never forget uh, all of those soldiers Uh who gave their lives for freedom uh, that we Uh uh, enjoy in Italy and in uh, America to this day. Um, Meanwhile, um, we have uh, Groundhog Day here in this country uh, coming up uh, on February 2nd this year uh, with uh, Paxitani Phil uh, coming out of the ground. (laughs) I understand that Italy has their own version of Groundhog Day.
5: Yes, we have our own version and we do it with blackbirds, actually. So, this is one of Italy's best known winter folktales. And it's called the Days of the Blackbird. Now, the Days of the Blackbird are the 29th, 30th, and 31st of January. And according to tradition, these days are typically particularly cold. And if they are, then that means that the incoming spring is going to be warm and sunny, and it's going to come early. But instead, if those days are warm and you hear the song of the blackbirds, then it means that spring is going to be late and rainy. And this old Italian adage originated from, from a story that there was a white bird and this white bird was just tormented by a very, very cold January. And every time the poor little bird left her nest to get food, the mischievous January pounced on her with snow and freezing temperatures and, and icy breezes. So the next year, the following January, this little bird wised up, and instead stocked up on food early. And then she stayed in her nest for 28 days before emerging triumphant to sing and to tease January. But instead, that resentful month of January unleashed a fierce fierce snowstorm. And it caused that poor little bird to go back into hiding once again, who took shelter in a chimney pot. She stayed there for three days. And when she emerged on the 1st of Feb, her white feathers were forever black with soot and thus the look of the blackbird today. So, during those days, during the 29th, 30th, and 31st of Jan, Italians are listening very carefully to hear the sounds of the blackbirds. And if they do, it means they better bundle up because spring is coming late, John.
2: That is amazing. Now, there's no, like, one specific blackbird that they're looking to, you know, like Buxetani Phil.
5: Right, Nope they they're listening for any of them. Got it. <laughs> and so, let's see.
2: That is hilarious. All right, um the uh, feast of uh Saint Agnes Virgin and Martyr uh happened uh, a few days ago. Uh, how, how was it celebrated there uh in Italy? <laughs>
5: Well, John, first of all, there's the beautiful Church of St. Agnes, which is located in Piazza Navona, right in the heart of the historic center of Rome, and that is built on the spot where St. Agnes was martyred. So that is a very popular place of pilgrimage, you can imagine, on her feast day. But another very important place of pilgrimage is the Basilica of St. Agnes outside the walls. And for the last 500 years, they have been carrying on the tradition of the blessed of little baby lambs on her feast day, January 21st. So Agnes was martyred in the year 304 under Diocletian and her name means lamb. So on January 21st of every year, Little lambs are brought into that basilica of St. Agnes outside the walls, and they are blessed. And their wool will then be used to weave the pallia of the new metropolitan archbishops. So imagine that these little lambs are carried into the basilica in two baskets. One has a little wreath of red flowers around her head and is in red flowers in the basket. And the other one has white flowers, and these indicate the martyrdom and then the virginity of little Saint Agnes. And the lambs come from the monks at Trefontane Abbey, the, the Trappist fathers there. And what happens is that they are blessed. And then the lambs go to visit Pope Francis in his residence there at Vatican Santa Marta, where they then receive another blessing before they are sent off to live with the sisters of St. Cecilia in Tristevere. Those sisters groom the lambs, they care for them until they're ready to be shorn for the palia to be created for those metropolitan archbishops, John
2: fascinating uh, um, information that you're sharing with us here about uh, St. Agnes. And uh, and of course, we remember her uh, in the Roman canon every time uh, when we go to Mass, and that uh, canon is used in Mass. As always, Ashley, really uh, appreciate you being with us, and you really do uh, bring Rome to home to our listeners.
5: Oh, John, thank you so much. Well, I'm very happy to be here and to share this amazing city with our listeners.
2: Many blessings to you. Grazie, grazie. Ashley Nerona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the new Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short pause when we come back. Attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar will be with us to talk about the New Hampshire primary results from last night and what they mean for all of us going forward. So stay with us as Morning Air continues here on this Wednesday on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.
1: This is an evening uh, that uh, I will not forget because it's the third time. But more importantly, uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the most important time Uh, we won. Uh, Both. It was, uh, I think they said, somebody said you rarely, if you win both, they've never had a loser. Let me put it that way. When you win (laughs) Iowa and you win New Hampshire, they've never had a loss. There's never been. So we're not going to be the first, I can tell you.
4: No, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. (laughs) (laughs) Trump claims he'd do better than me in one of those tests. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But if he thinks that, then he should have no problem standing on a debate stage with me.
2: And welcome back uh, to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much uh, for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And of course, you just heard a part of the Post-primary comments by the two candidates. We're going to talk about it here momentarily. Our toll-free number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888 sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888 Now, last night, former President Donald Trump dominated, uh, once again, easily beating former U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley in the New Hampshire Republican primary. Just eight days after an impressive win in Iowa's Republican caucuses, this time by a narrow margin of uh, about 55 to 43 percent. The former president becomes the first Republican to win Iowa and New Hampshire since 1976, winning the Granite State for the third time. Uh, here's a little bit more of Trump's victory speech.
1: Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state this is a great great state you know we won new hampshire three times now three Three. we win it every time we win the primary we win the generals we've won it and it's a very very special place to me it's very important and um Prior
2: to uh, President uh, Trump's uh, speech, Nikki Haley congratulated uh, Mr. Trump uh, in her own speech to supporters uh, in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, after the race had been called.
4: I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation.
2: And so uh, that begs the question, what does the New Hampshire primary results mean uh, for average Americans and for everyday Catholics? Joining us live from Washington, D.C., is attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the political director of Americano Media, for a Catholic perspective on last night's results of the New Hampshire primary. Alfonso is a regular contributor to Morning Air and a frequent guest on Fox News, MSNBC, Telemundo, Univision, and CNN in Espanol. He's published opinion columns in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Good morning, Alfonso. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It is great to be with you once again here uh, uh, the day after uh, the big night.
6: Good morning, John. Yeah, it was an interesting night, uh, but I think it confirms what I think most people believe, uh, that this primary is over, uh, that President Trump is going to be the nominee of the Republican party. Uh, it was a big victory, uh, for, for Trump. He now, he's now won, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire by, uh, over 50% of the votes, the first GOP candidate to do so since 1976. And he's clearly running as an incumbent. I mean, he's dominating the majority of the base of the Republican party. So I don't see any, uh, path forward for uh, Nikki Haley. I know she keeps saying that this is not over, but you know, she lost uh, by a healthy margin, uh, you know, eight, seven, 8% to Trump. Um, she's now going to South Carolina, which is a more conservative state. I mean, if she couldn't win North New Hampshire, which is a more moderate state, uh, where Republicans are more moderate, where um, independents can vote, uh, how can she win in South Carolina and other states? In fact, if you look at the polling in South Carolina, Trump is ahead by over 30 points. Uh, the two senators from uh, um, North, South Carolina have endorsed Trump. The governor of South Carolina have endorsed Trump. So it's it, it just uh, almost impossible uh, for Nikki Haley to, to win. And it's not enough for her to have. You know, a, a, a good night, or 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 improve her numbers, or arrive second. She needs to win contests, and I, I just don't see that happening. So I think for most of the GOP in the country, it means that Trump is the, the, the nominee, and that we're g- the, the general elections is going to start earlier than what we than than usual.
2: Alfonso, uh, how important do you think uh, the issue of immigration was in the end uh, in New Hampshire? Uh, apparently, it's, it's tops all across the country. Yeah. I- immigration, according to uh, various different polls, was, was number one uh, with the economy, second, uh, foreign policy, third, and, and abortion, uh, 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 fourth. Uh, and obviously, in, in, in a different order uh, from the Democratic perspective.
6: Yeah, the border crisis has become the the you know the number one issue uh, for a lot of voters. Um, you know, as important as the economy, in some polls, even more important. Right? Uh, what we saw from some of the the, the exit polling in New Hampshire is that it may have been actually the uh, issue. And uh, when it comes to uh, to that issue, they know where President Trump stands. Uh, they know his record. He saw a a. Um, an increase in the influx of migrants who in 2019 and he took measures to ensure that the government took uh, operational control of the border um, and now we're, they, they, they see what's happening right now and uh, they want a president who has a clear vision for uh, dealing with the border. Um, uh, I think, uh, um, you know, that they're not clear where uh, uh, Nikki Haley stands on the issue, uh, but they know that Trump is, uh, you know, what his views are on the issue, and that he has has a right of taking specific measures, building the wall to uh, the remaining Mexico policy, to the safe third country agreements with Central American countries, uh, they know what he did to stem the, this mass the the, uh, the flow of migrants to to the border. So uh, I think that really that definitely helped him. And and and, it's, and that's an issue that's important not only in the Republican Party and in the in the Republican primary, but also at the national level because the you know we, we it's not only the bordering communities that are, that are facing the issue, but uh, you know cities like Chicago, New York. Are facing uh, uh this issue where migrants are arriving in record numbers. And I don't think people are saying or expressing anti-immigrant views. Uh, they're just saying that this is not the way for people to migrate to the country that our country's not ready to receive so many people at the same time uh, community cities don't have the resources to properly accommodate them because at the end what happens is that you have to take resources from that you use to provide services to people from in the community to uh, help uh, these migrants that arrive uh, in your backyard out of your backyard
2: uh, Al- Alfonso, how much uh, did it mean uh, for the Trump campaign that, that Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out just two days before the New Hampshire primary?
6: No, it certainly helped. Uh, I, I think uh, the vast majority of those people that were supporting DeSantis uh, um, voted for Trump. Uh, I think the, Polling before the primary showed that about 73, 75 percent of those who were supporting DeSantis would vote for Trump. Um, you know, at the end, ideologically, they're not that different. So it made sense for them to to support uh, Trump. And obviously, DeSantis also endorsed Trump.
2: Now, uh, on the other side, uh, uh, President uh, Biden easily won uh, the Democratic uh, primary there in New Hampshire, and he wasn't even on the ballot. Can you explain to us why he wasn't on the ballot?
6: (laughs) Well, because the DNC uh, wanted South Carolina to be the first primary. So the state went ahead with their primary, but the votes are not going to be counted. So it's ironic that Democrats are always talking about voter suppression, that Rep- Republicans believe in voter suppression, where their first contest in New Hampshire was an exercise in voter suppression because the votes of Democrats in New Hampshire uh, are not going to be considered by the DNC, by the Democratic Party. So it's, it's really ironic and uh, because this was uh, the, the decision of the DNC. It was a decision to disenfranchise uh, all the Democratic uh, voters of, of New Hampshire just by trying to impose South Carolina as the first uh, uh, primary.
2: Obviously, uh, you know, we here at Relevant Radio can't e- endorse any one candidate or any one uh, party, but we, we try to report the facts of what's going on on the ground. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there, there's a, a Catholic perspective uh, to these primaries in this uh, election year. Uh, can you share some of the issues uh, that we as Catholics need to be uh, uh, considering when we uh, go to vote?
6: Well, you know, yesterday was a, uh, a very interesting day, um, and I think Catholic voters should take note of it. I mean, President uh, Biden with Kamala Harris uh, went to Virginia and did an event, uh, you know, one of their first campaign events where they, uh, you know, basically said that abortion is going to be one of their top issues, that they're going to campaign to promote abortion in the country. Um, Biden wants to be the abortion president. Uh, and, and that means pushing for uh, the federal government to ensure that women have access to um, to the abortion medication, uh, to chemical abortion, uh, and uh, and that is really concerning. Um, I think uh, um, you know the, the, it is the Democrats who have uh, taken up an extreme position. Uh, we're seeing it in different states that, are, that, that already have passed ballot initiatives and a few other states that are going to have ballot initiatives uh, in, in, in November. Uh, and what Democrats are trying to do is to push an extreme agenda that would allow abortion during nine months uh, without reasonable conditions or limits. Uh, and this is what Democrats and Biden is going to campaign on. So, uh, I, I, you know, again, we have to look at this at these issues. But I think yesterday was made uh, very clear that Biden wants to be the abortion president and wants to push uh, extreme abortion policies. And that's not where the country is. vast majority of Americans, over 70 percent, believe in limits to abortion oppose late term abortion. Yet this administration is encouraging states to pass uh, legislation and constitutional reforms that allow abortion till the very end of, 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 um, of the pregnancy.
2: And uh, obviously, uh, the issue of abortion, uh, from uh, the Democrats' perspective, they think it's going to be a a winning issue, while the issue of immigration is uh, obviously uh, the main issue from the Republican perspective.
6: Right. I mean, abortion is an element. Uh, We saw it even in New Hampshire. But uh, but obviously, border security and inflation are the number one issues. And on those two issues, uh, the vast majority of the country is very dissatisfied with, with Joe Biden. Now, on abortion, I, I think even on that issue, Republicans can have an advantage if they explain the issues I just did, that it is Democrats who are pushing the extreme uh, 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 abortion policy of allowing it during nine months and without any limits. I think if if, if Republicans explain that, uh, I think most voters uh, who want limits and who don't believe in late term abortion would uh would would, would support uh, the candidates uh who who are for limits and 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 those are republican candidates.
2: What uh, was your take um, uh, seeing uh, the former opponents of, uh, of President uh, Trump uh, on stage uh, last night and, and a few days ago? Uh, Senator Tim Scott really showing a lot of love uh, for uh, President Trump uh, as well as uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, both guys uh, that he was competing against and now they're on his team.
6: Well, I think it's a show of unity, and uh, I think the majority of Republicans, uh, not only in the base, but also uh, elected officials recognize that Trump is going to be the candidate. Uh, that's why the majority of members of Congress have endorsed him. Uh, the majority of primary candidates have endorsed him. And uh, the message is let's move on. Uh, you know, with, uh, let's focus on the general election and on beating Joe Biden. That was, I think, the message that we're trying to send. Again, I just don't see a path forward for, for Nikki Haley. Uh, you know, it's not enough to have um, a good night in terms of increasing your, your voter support. You have to win contests. And uh, if she can not win in New Hampshire, where Republicans are more moderate, where independents can participate in the primary, where can she win? She says she wants to go to South Carolina, which is her state. But, you know, the two senators from South Carolina have endorsed Trump. The governor has endorsed Trump. It's a more conservative state you know, Trump is ahead in the polls, So I, I think basically this is over. I mean, she may want to continue, but I think at, at this point, uh, her candidacy is really irrelevant.
2: Alfonso, uh, as an attorney, you know, f- from a legal perspective, uh, your, pers- your thoughts on uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, on Monday, uh, siding with the Biden administration in the case involving uh, the razor wire fence along the Texas border with Mexico
6: yeah, i was I was a little bit surprised uh, with that decision. Uh, Justice Roberts uh, and uh, Coney Barrett sided with 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 uh, more liberal uh, justices on that decision. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the state has a prerogative to to ensure the the safety uh, of of the citizens within their territory. So I was a little bit taken aback by that decision uh but you know uh, i think texas uh has to continue uh defending its borders uh considering that the administration is not doing anything we we sadly have an administration that is encouraging people to make that very uh dangerous journey to the southern border uh, they're allowing the vast majority of people who arrive at the border and ask for asylum, they're allowing them in. So recently, Secretary Secretary Mayorkas, you know, meeting with, with border patrol officials, said that they're letting in 85 percent of those people that arrive at the border. So basically, we have open borders. And uh, so Texas has to do something. And, and, and now this is more than just a border issue. I mean, also, we're seeing... Uh, the effects of, of this massive migration in cities like Chicago, New York, and other urban centers across the country.
2: Well, Alfonso, as always, uh, appreciate uh, your perspective. We've got a, a long way to go in, in this race uh, with uh, South Carolina and uh, a Super Tuesday on the horizon uh, coming up. Thanks so much.
6: Thank you so much.
2: Attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the political director of Americano Media. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner.
3: We'll warm you up a little bit today on this uh, wintry weather day with a look at planting. Our story today called Growing Good Corn. There once was a farmer who grew award-winning corn. Each year he entered his corn in the state fair where it won a blue ribbon. One year a newspaper reporter interviewed him and learned something interesting about how he grew it. The reporter discovered the farmer shared his seed corn with his neighbors. How can you afford to share your best seed corn with your neighbors when they're entering Corn in competition with yours each year," asked the reporter. Why, sir, said the farmer, didn't you know the wind picks up pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field. If my neighbors grew inferior corn, cross-pollination will steadily degrade the quality of my corn. If I'm to grow good corn, I must help my neighbors grow good corn." He's very, very much aware of the connectedness of life. His corn cannot improve unless his neighbor's corn also improves, and so it is with our lives. Those who choose to live in peace must help their neighbors to live in peace. Those who choose to live well must help others to live well, for the value of a life is measured by the lives it touches. And those that choose to be happy must help others to find happiness, for the welfare of each is bound up with the welfare of all. The lesson for each of us is this. If we are to grow good corn, we must help our neighbors grow good corn. From Proverbs 11.25, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be
2: refreshed. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn, as always. Uh, Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, uh, Bishop Donald Hine, the Bishop of the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, will be with us to talk about St. Francis de Sales and the significance of cathedrals plus personal success. Coach Dave Duran, the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media, will tell us about signs that your leadership approach isn't working and how to fix it. Stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of uh, this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.